Today we're exploring the story of the Tower of Babel, which marks the end of the primeval history in the history in the book of Genesis. And it serves as this bookend to the story of creation and everything that happened in between. This is another story that's been oversimplified and misinterpreted over the years. And as we listen to it today, I encourage you to hold the other stories of the primeval history, creation, Eve and Adam in the garden, Cain and Abel, and the great flood, to hold all of those in the back of your mind. Our reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for the word of God. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of love and wisdom, be with us as we explore your word. Quiet all the distractions within and without. Make yourself known to us. In and through this, your holy word, shape us into the people you dreamt of at creation. Amen. All of these stories in the primeval history were part of the Torah given to the ancient Hebrews after their exodus in Egypt. Centuries later, while in exile in Babylon, their descendants began to write down these traditions that had accompanied them throughout the years. These stories offered meaning and comfort to the Israelites. Sometimes their details seem so strange, it can be hard for us to understand why it helped them to make meaning of their experiences, much less how they might help us today. This is a story that raises a lot of questions. But today I want to invite us to focus on just two questions. The first question is, why did the people build the tower? So I want to place the story in context a little bit. So chapter 9, we read about the great flood and God's promise and how God had hung up God's bow in the sky as this reminder of God's covenant to never again send a flood. God promised to work to eradicate evil in different ways. In many ways, the way that God interacted with humanity after the flood was meant to be a kind of a creation part two. Unfortunately, Noah and his family still mess things up. God still walked with them, though, and chapter 10, in between 9 and 11, is this long genealogy of Noah's descendants. The tone of that genealogy is a little detached, and it ends with affirming that Noah's descendants spread out over all the earth and all spoke different languages. And then we get to chapter 11, and it's like someone hit the rewind button. 
We read that the whole earth, all the people, had one language and were in one place. They were all the same. In the story of the Tower of Babel, God is um, a bit more um, anthropomorphic. He acts more like a person here. God comes down to see the tower as if God couldn't see it up in heaven. Just like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and 3, those kind of two different creation narratives, we have to hold them together. And we've got to hold on to chapter 10 and chapter 11 together. We can see that it happened, that God's dream for humanity and the earth happened, that there were people all over, that there was diversity in different languages, and they were all over the earth caring for the world. But in this chapter, we kind of look backwards and see how it happened and why. So it opens with people on the earth after the flood, they were all one. And we tend to think of that as sounding good, but the connotation is the same. And sameness is not unity. God had told them after the flood, go forth, be scattered, all the ends of the earth, be fruitful and multiply. We are starting over. You have space. I need my creation taken care of. Now, the people multiplied, but they didn't scatter. They didn't go anywhere. They just stayed right there. And they responded to God's command and invitation to separate and travel to unknown corners of the world with fear, avoidance, and self-sufficiency. We see that in a couple ways here. The first is a strange detail of how they make bricks instead of using stones. Why? Why does the author think we need to know about bricks? This was a way of saying... The things that God created, the stones that take longer to assemble and and make into a foundation, we're just going to do our own thing and make our bricks and make the stones for us. And then building a giant tower, which was very common in other cultures around that area, was in some ways trying to manufacture a holy mountain because God's often met with humanity on mountaintops way up high. So instead of going out into creation and finding God in mountains and valleys, they built their own to show that they could be as powerful as God. And then this other detail that I think is one of kind of a stumbling block when we read this story is when God says, uh, look, they are one people. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. And it's kind of like, well, God, isn't that good that they're like, doing stuff and, and productive, and, and isn't it good that they would be able to do things that previously they thought were not possible? But in the Hebrew, that those words have a really negative connotation. They're related to um, defiling something or evil intent. And so by contrasting those, God is saying, what they're doing here is not actually a good thing. It's not the building, per se. I want you to build and live and Um, in all these different places, but the why matters to God. Are you building to kind of create life the way that I've invited you to do, or are you building something to avoid what I've told you to do, to avoid the unknown that is so scary? Because the people there, they didn't seek out God. They didn't talk to God and name their fears. They didn't say, we're afraid to go to a new place. We're afraid that you won't be with us. We're afraid that this whole covenant thing won't actually work out and you'll just send a flood again and we'll be alone. They just went ahead and took care of themselves. We'll just do it. We'll just build our tower. We'll just protect ourselves from having to do anything strange. We will show that we can take care of ourselves. And that 
sentiment is not unfamiliar <laughs> to us today. Because I wonder how we respond when we're faced with some newness, some unknown that scares us a bit. This happens in all corners of our life. We get offered a new job. We get offered a promotion. We lose our job. We're facing an unknown there in terms of our productivity and our worth, our financial security. We enter a new romantic relationship or end one. So many unknowns and so much fear in those. How is this going to work out? Am I emotionally safe? Can we make this work for the long term? It happens in communities and friendships and relationships. You might walk into a church one day, and that can be its whole unknown scary thing, to, show, to walk through the doors and sit in a pew, to not know what you're going to encounter there, to not know if the people are going to be really welcoming, to not know what what message you're going to hear about God and what God thinks about you. So we tend to feel that way when it comes to these kind of external um, circumstances and relationships, but it also happens even kind of internally when we're faced with a significant doubt about our faith, a big question. How do we respond to that? We get real scared, (laughs) but we don't talk to anyone about it, right? We keep it within and we just either ignore it or try and take care of it ourselves somehow. When we look at our past and the things that have hurt us in the past, do we name those fears and talk to God about them, or do we lean on ourselves and just say, it's okay, I don't need anybody, I'm just going to figure this out by myself. Like the people in the story, we don't tend to talk to God. We don't tend to name our fears. We tend to lean on ourselves. We tend to try and accomplish more to quiet those voices with uh, mantras or, or just kind of stuffing it behind um, in the back of our minds. When we're faced with a known, with a newness, with an invitation that maybe doesn't make sense, or we're not looking forward to, or our circumstances difficult, we tend to react with fear and self-sufficiency and avoidance. So we explored some reasons why they might have built the tower and how we are not that dissimilar from them. The second question I want us to wonder about today is related to God's reaction to the tower. Was God's response a punishment or Was it something else? Again, when we read this story as a face value without the context of chapter 10 and the genealogy and the flood and the primeval history and how this came to them uh, after the exodus and how this was so important that they wrote it down in exile, this story on its own, plucked from that, paints a picture of a God who's just kind of seems annoyed almost, and it's just like, here, you guys aren't doing what I want you to do. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to scatter you and confuse your language because I don't want you to do what was previously impossible. But was the scattering and the confusion done from anger, annoyance? We don't know what God was feeling, And we don't know how the scattering was accomplished. Did God literally kind of like scooch people along? Or was there some other circumstance that that made them move? But I've, I've come to wonder if the scattering and the confusion is in its own way 
not a punishment, but a grace. God knew what was best for creation. God knew that the best thing was diversity, was difference. That when people were scared, we would find the comfort and the strength that we need, not in sameness, but in difference. And so God scattering the people is God looking at them and saying, I've asked you to do this thing, I've told you to do this thing, I've told you I'll be with you, and you're still not doing it, and so I'm just going to make it kind of hard to not do it. (laughs) And the confusion piece is so interesting to me because no one likes to be confused, right? No one likes to feel incompetent or like someone else can't understand you. There is this deep comfort and strength that comes from being understood, from being seen and seeing. No one enjoys being confused, but what does confusion invite us to do? It invites us to slow down, to take extra time, to be really careful with the words that we choose, to listen really hard, and to try and find some kind of middle point where we do understand something of one another. If we kind of assume that we're all on the same page and all speaking the same language, whether we mean English or just like a cultural language, we miss things. We miss uh, details that might cause hurt. So in that confusion, there's actually a gift of, of kind of learning how to slow down and learning how to listen to one another and God ensuring that these gifts of diversity would be experienced by generations to come. And I think the other way that God acts in this text that is implicit but is good news is that God goes with them into the unknown and into that confusion. God isn't absent. God doesn't scatter them and just leave. God accompanies them into those new territories, into that confusion, into that new season. And so I'm curious about our lives today in these situations where there is fear, where there is newness, when we want God to give us clarity and understanding and something we can kind of hold on to that's very concrete, but instead we feel a little dispersed, we have a lot of confusion. So what Can there be grace in there? Can there be goodness in the midst of all of that? In our slowing down, in our naming our fears and connecting to other people who are different than us, who might have the the gifts that we need. And so I'm curious about what unknowns you are being called to follow God into. It's true. The invitation for us is no longer to go out and populate the planet. We are in a different era, that's for sure, but God is always issuing invitations into some new season, into some kind of growth and change and evolution. God is always issuing invitations into some kind of unknown. And God promises and shows up in the confusion of that. We come back to some of these examples of either we're beginning or ending a relationship, we're beginning or ending a job, we're finding a church community, it's really scary. What if, if we put ourselves into this situation, what if we feel alone? What if God feels distant? What if we fail? 
What if, what if, what if? We can face all of those what ifs on the way to becoming the people we're meant to be when we're grounded in the truth of how God goes with us wherever we are. You'll often hear me say in liturgy, the people God dreamed of at creation, because that's a real thing. God created with this vision of difference and giftedness and culture and all of these different aspects, this beauty. We read the story and we think, oh man, they were confused, they must have been so frustrated. But can you also imagine if suddenly there were all of these different languages? There's, there's beauty there too. If you ever heard someone speak or sing in a different language, it's beautiful. There's goodness in the midst of that confusion. God ensured that God's dream came to be with whatever it took, and God went with them. And when we face all of the what-ifs and the unknowns now, God goes with us wherever we are. We don't need to seek out the same stuff. We don't need to say, stay same in the same familiar patterns of thought. We don't need to rely on ourselves. We don't need to sort it out ourselves. Acknowledging the need, acknowledging the fear is the beginning of it be getting met. The sameness won't get us anywhere. It will keep us stuck. But difference and opening and softening to what might be helpful, that's where the grace is. That's where the gift is. That's where the comfort is. In that unknown, in that confusion, God meets us and walks with us even there, even here, even now. What a gift. Amen.